listening to Faith and Family. I'm Sarah Golseth. I have the joy of bringing you another one of our missionary stories. Uh, Many times we talk to missionaries serving in warm places like the Dominican Republic or Kenya, but today we travel to Siberia. With me in studio is the Reverend Alan Ludwig, who serves as a missionary in Siberia. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me today. Oh, I'm pleased to be with you. That's wonderful. So tell me a little bit about your journey uh, that led to being in the mission field. It's not something I chose. Uh, They often say it's not what you know, but who you know. Oh, sure. (laughs) And this is sort of one of those cases. Um, Although I probably always would have been willing to serve in missions, I never saw it as a real possibility for me because of family and so on. But uh, I happened to be acquainted with uh, the Reverend Dr. Tim Quill. I... uh, Uh, I was in his congregation in St. Louis during my graduate studies at the seminary, so he knew me well. He uh, uh, then became director of the Russian Project at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. And uh, one time, oh, must have been 1997, he gave me a phone call and said, could you come here and teach for 10 weeks? (laughs) And I said, "Uh, no, I can't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he's very persuasive, and he talked me into it, uh, uh, persuasive in a good way. He, Oh, the church needs you. There's a real need here, and what pastor can resist this? <laughs> yeah, so I, I agreed that uh, I would leave my parish for 10 weeks and go there and teach if uh, the congregation would allow it. But he persuaded them as well. So mm-hmm. I went there, uh, taught to Novosibirsk, Russia, taught for 10 weeks, and I thought, that's a, a great experience. I'll, I'll put it on my resume, <laughs> have fond memories, and that's the end of that. And some months later, uh, I got a phone call saying, could you come here for three to five years? <laughs> that was, um, well, almost 19 years ago. Now. Oh, wow. So that's how that all developed. So this wasn't something that, that you had been thinking about for a long time, or, or Russia wasn't somewhere you had always wanted to, to go? Um, I, I suppose I had a fascination with Russia, but no, if um, <laughs> probably not, not specially, no. Sure. So you've been there uh, since, since you said 1997? 1998. 1998. That is a long time. Um, how was the, uh, the transition to life there? I think uh, not that difficult, mm-hmm. partly because you expect it. Sure. You expect a lot of differences, You not only the language differences, you expect cultural differences. I think I had more trouble adjusting to a Midwestern culture. <laughs> uh, serving in the parish in the Midwest, I'm from the Northwest. Oh, okay. And, and I found I wasn't expecting the, the cultural differences there. So sure. that was more of a shock. Sure. How has it how has it changed over the last nineteen years? Oh, it's changed tremendously. Mm-hmm. When I went in nineteen ninety eight, you still heard echoes and you saw signs of the Soviet Union, the Soviet mm-hmm. way of thinking. Uh, in, in but it's changed uh, very much since then. It's become a lot more like Europe, like America. Mm-hmm. Uh, some, some, in some ways, it's good change. In some ways, it's bad change. Sure. Uh, the good ways are are probably uh, they've become a little bit more customer friendly, <laughs> service oriented, 
whereas before not so much. Mm -hmm. uh, but some of the bad things, people are busier. Uh, they used to spend hours around the table and uh, they would have these big feasts and they would sing songs, uh, which I think is emotionally very healthy. Mm -hmm. uh, now, no one has time for this anymore. It's um, uh, And uh, I, I like the old decor better just simply because to me it was unique. Sure. Uh, now, their, their houses look like everybody else's inside. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How long did it take you to learn to learn the language? Uh, I don't consider myself still to have arrived at that. <laughs> uh, it, it, that's a very hard question to answer. It's a mm -hmm. difficult language, and starting this later in life is mm. more difficult. Uh, word of advice, if you want to learn a language, <laughs> do it now, not next year, because it just gets harder. And harder each year. Sure, and it's and with Russian, it's not just learning the spoken language; it's also uh, learning the alphabet and being oh, able the, to read it. The alphabet, as I tell my Hebrew and Greek students, you can learn a new alphabet in a few days. That's not should not even be daunting. Uh, people find that oh, I I could never learn a language with this alphabet. Yeah, you can really pretty quickly. You can learn. Uh, what sounds the letters make, you can learn to read it, sort of, even though you don't know what it means. It takes a lifetime to learn all the vocabulary, the mm -hmm. idioms, the, uh, the nuances of the language. That's uh, more difficult. And all of the cultural things, too. Is, it, is, uh, is the language different in different areas of the country, then, too? Not very much in Russia. It, compared to even America, it's very homogenous. Mm -hmm. There are some, you know, dialectical differences in terms of words and so on, uh, a little bit in terms of accent, but I would say less even than in the U.S. Sure, sure. So what, what do you like to, uh, to do in, when you have some free time? Are there cultural things or, or traveling or visiting, visiting the historic places? Well, uh, in the city of Novosibirsk, uh, which is a Siberian city, but of about a million and a half, uh, there are a lot of cultural opportunities, not only museums, but they have a marvelous opera theater and ballet theater. Mm -hmm. The ballet is one of the best in the world. I was just reading about this in an English newspaper the other day, oh, about wow. how good their ballet is. I'm a little jealous that you get to, <laughs> you're so close to that. Yeah, it's, it's very nice. Yeah. Are there um, museums or, um, I don't know, parks or restaurants? Um, restaurants. That, that uh, probably is not the strong side <laughs> of life in, in Russia and in Siberia. I mean, there are certainly decent restaurants, but I don't think it's the place you would go if you're really into the restaurant culture. That's, that's not the place to take a tour for that. But there are, yes, lots of museums. Um, and very worthwhile museums. Sure. What do you have a favorite food or two? Hmm. There are three Russian soups, mm -hmm. uh, or at least soups they make in Russia. They claim it's not really ethnically Russian, but <laughs> you identify them with Russia. Russia. One is borscht, mm -hmm. made with beet soup. It's red. I like this very well. Uh, another is what they call shi. Uh, it's kind of a cabbage soup, mm -hmm. and the third is rasolnik. Mm -hmm. It's a well, I guess put it simply, it's a pickle soup. Uh, I I really miss those when I don't have them. Maybe my favorite is it would translate as um, herring under a fur coat. 
<laughs> and this is uh, its layers of uh, beets, potatoes, um, sometimes carrots, cabbage, mm. over uh, what is just salted herring. I don't think oh, it's wow. even cooked. Now, the <laughs> first time I ate this, I thought, ooh, how can anyone eat this? But out of politeness, I, I ate my bites. Mm -hmm. The second time, I thought, hmm, not, not bad. And, oh, it has onion in it, too. Mm -hmm. And there's just something about the combination. It really grew on me and has become one of my favorite foods. <laughs> That that's fantastic, and of course, with you being in Siberia, we have to talk about the weather. Is it is it always snowing? No, not always. <laughs> this year, we probably had snow on the ground seven straight months, but oh, wow. for Siberia, even that's long. Even for Siberia, uh -huh. wow, wow. <laughs> um, and am I? Do you have a background in in music? Am I correct in that? Yes. Are you able to use uh, your your music um, talents and gifts while you're on the mission mm. field? Uh, only indirectly. Uh, mm -hmm. th there are church musicians, people who fill that role, and, and I don't put myself forward for that. <laughs> However, I do use it indirectly. I mm -hmm. teach a course on hymnology, which, oh. is, which is on the, well, the art, history, theology, science of hymns. Sure. Uh, so I use it in that way. That's fascinating, and and uh, I've I've uh, I've said many <laughs> a few times on the air that um, that I'm a bit of a hymn nerd. So a oh. course in hymnology sounds absolutely fascinating to me. Uh, that would that would be something that would be really fun. Um, speaking of of hymnology and, and the church, um, what uh, what church body are you actually working working with while you're on the mission field? Uh, it's the Siberian Evangelical Lutheran Church. Sure. Uh, can you can you tell me a little bit about the the history of that church? It's um, the newest, uh, well, the, the newest of the two Lutheran church bodies that the LCMS works with. Mm -hmm. uh, the Ingrian Lutheran Church has a several hundred year old history. Mm -hmm. uh, this only goes back uh, officially to the 1990s mm. when the first congregation was formed, but it has its roots already in Soviet times when a young man named Sevalad Litkin questioned the anti-Christian propaganda he was being fed. Mm -hmm. He read the Bible verses, believed the Bible verses more than the propaganda against them, and decided, this is for me. He traveled to Estonia, which uh, was one of the satellites of the Soviet Union. Uh, he went to a Lutheran church there, asked them to catechize him and to baptize him, which they did. He went back to Siberia. And this was uh, still during Soviet times. Uh, after the end of the Soviet Union, uh, he began to gather university students and other interested people. Uh, they, first, they had a little Bible study group. Eventually, this became a congregation of the Estonian Lutheran Church. Mm. And uh, finally, as the, the mission grew, there became congrega uh, congregations spread all over Siberia. They're small and relatively few, but still a pretty phenomenal growth. Um, the, it the church became independent, and um, in 2007, they had their first bishop consecrated, the same Sevalad Litkin. So wow. it's a completely independent church. And for the last few years, it has been a partnership church of the LCMS. But, of course, they asked us for help with their theological education mm -hmm. way back in the 1990s. So uh, 
effectively, uh, they have been on board with the Missouri Synod for a long time. Sure. Uh, now, you said this this church um, was still feeling the effects of, of communism in its very, very young age. Is that still something that, that you're dealing with in the church body? Uh, no, I would say really no. not at all. Okay. Since the end of the Soviet times, there has been pretty much complete religious freedom. That's good. The only requirement is that churches are supposed to register with the government. Mm-hmm. That's that. That's an, an interesting concept for uh, for us in America to to think about. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, so, with this this church body, um, and and uh, what are the church services like? Are they would they be recognizable to uh, to a Lutheran in in America to to an LCMS Lutheran? I think if you attended one, even without knowing a word of Russian, <laughs> you would figure out at points where you are. You would mm-hmm. say, "Oh yes, this is the." Gloria in excelsis. This is the Lamb of God who takes sure. away the sin of the world, and so on. You, sure. you would recognize all of those elements. And so the liturgy is is quite similar. Yeah, it's not identical by any means, but it's it's similar. It follows the same general pattern. Sure. Are there uh, are there services in Russian and in English, or is most of it just just in Russian? It's all in Russian. Everything's in Russian. So you, so in order to actually follow along and, and really to, to sing the hymns or those things, you would you would need to know some Russian then? It would help. That's for certain. You would at least have to learn the alphabet and, and learn to pronounce the words. Sure, sure. So uh, the since this is such a young church, are the the buildings are they old buildings, or are they have there been new buildings built, or or what kind of space is is this church uh, in? It, it varies from place to place. Mm-hmm. Um, in some places, uh, they have bought or simply meet in someone's apartment, mm-hmm. uh, set it up on Sundays, or if it's their own space, uh, all the time. Uh, one of our churches I know bought uh, the whole bottom floor of a. An apartment building. Oh wow! So uh, they have not only the sanctuary but the parish hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, our church in Novosibirsk, that is the one I worship in most, is a former bank building. Oh wow! And on it has two stories. On the top story is our seminary, mm-hmm. and on the bottom story, uh, the, the main floor, is the church. Um, we have one very beautiful churchly church building in the city of Tomsk. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a log church. Uh, I think by any standards it's impressive to see. Yes, yes that's, that sounds very impressive. Now you mentioned the seminary. Um, how, how big is the seminary? How, how many students are there? It's always been a small seminary. We uh, probably have ranged from about 12 down to 3 or 4 at a time. Wow. Right now we have 9. Okay. So it's it's a small group, and, and are these um, students specifically going to be in the Siberian Lutheran Church then? Not all of them. Uh, for example, this year we have four students that have come to, uh, three students, excuse me, who have come to us from the Lutheran Church of Ingria. Mm-hmm. They, uh, well, one of them is an ordained deacon. He works in the area. He can't go to their training institution near St. Petersburg. It's a long way. <laughs> yes. uh, so he studies with us and uh, and two others who are from the area as well study with us okay and what are what are the backgrounds of these students are they have they been um, been trained in other theology and, and want to become pastors or is this uh, um, like it is elsewhere uh, more of a, a very beginning uh, style theology 
um, that that has to you actually have to prepare them for the theological classes. It varies. Okay. Uh, just like in American seminaries, every <laughs> individual has his own story. Mm-hmm. Um, we we have some students who have been Baptists or Pentecostals or Russian Orthodox who come to us. Some have come to us with. Uh, already some theological training, for example, have studied in an Orthodox seminary. Mm. Some come to us even without a higher education. So oh, wow. it, it varies, and it's a challenge sometimes. Sure, sure. What is that like to to teach theology? Because um, Russia is, is a, a very Orthodox country, um, and what is that like teaching the Lutheran theology to, to people with an Orthodox background? Uh, I think maybe easier than teaching theology to people with, for example, a Baptist background. Oh, sure. Uh, because they they don't have so much trouble with the sacramental theology. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Now, are, are some of these, um, is it more of a, a traditional, um, like a, a cultural orthodoxy rather than, rather than an actual practicing religious orthodoxy? Uh, in Russia... I, I think something like uh, 75% of people claim to be <laughs> Russian Orthodox, but actual practice, uh, in actual practice, only 2% or less uh, have any living, active connection with the church. So you're dealing with a lot of cultural orthodoxy, and mm-hmm. some of it is very, very deeply ingrained. Mm-hmm. Uh, orthodoxy has been in Russia for over a thousand years, mm-hmm. and it really has shaped the culture. And this is something even communism couldn't wipe out with mm-hmm. its atheistic official ideology. Sure, sure. So um, tell me a little bit more about uh, what you actually do at the seminary, your day to day kind of kind of things. Well, uh, I, I help train pastors, uh, uh, that is, seminarians who will in the future become pastors mm-hmm. and serve the Russian people, uh, bring the gospel to Russian people, and administer the sacraments to the faithful. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, uh, what kinds of things uh, do these seminarians like to, to do? Is this, is this a residential place, or, or do they live... Um, do they live really far away from there, or what's what's the day-to-day life of the seminarians like? Well, just as in America, there are zoning laws in Russia. We can't have people living on our premises. We can't even have a kitchen oh, wow. on our premises uh, because of the zoning. Mm-hmm. So uh, our students usually live some distance away. Uh, we have a couple of student apartments. Mm. I live uh, in pretty much the same area. It's um, if you walk. Through the woods, it's about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. If you take public transportation, depending on the day and how much traffic there is, it could be anywhere from 15 minutes to 35. Sure. Now, you mentioned walking through the woods. Is this is this surrounded by woods then? Uh, that's a, a very wooded region. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Novosibirsk, they have left a lot of wooden area, uh, mm-hmm. wooded areas. Sure. Sure. So tell me, tell me a little bit more about Novosibirsk and, and living there. Is it is it more of a you mentioned you mentioned the wooded areas? So it's for for somebody who's who's never been there. Would it be um, like a would it feel very urban or would it feel a little bit a little bit less urban? Uh, depends on where you are in the city. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a large city of about a million and a half. Sure. 
and not as big as some cities, but uh, in Siberia, that's pretty large. Mm -hmm. It's considered the third largest city in Russia. Oh, wow. So if you're in the center, of course, you're going to feel that you're in a very, very urban area. Mm -hmm. We're in uh, our seminaries in a place called Akadim Garadok, mm -hmm. which uh, translates roughly University City. Oh, nice. uh, it's where they have... Um, scientific institutes and mm -hmm. Novosibirsk State University. So it's a uh, an academic area. And it, it's exactly here that they've left these wooded areas so that uh, in the old days, the 1950s and 60s, so that the scientists who work there would feel comfortable and and uh, relax and so on and, and do their best work. Still a desirable area to live. So... Uh, and it's pretty, pretty built up to pretty urban. Sure, sure. So, so is is there's a, a lot of academic people living there, and, and um, how does that affect the culture of of living there? Well, for example, in the the church in Novosibirsk, I think most of the people are uh, highly educated. Mm -hmm. Most have higher education. Some have very high education. Mm -hmm. So it's a pretty educated congregation, but some of our uh, outlying congregations uh, quite the opposite. Sure, sure. So what what is your um, what is your hope for the seminary in the future? Well, my first hope is that it can continue mm -hmm. uh, after I'm gone, of course, and we've worked to, to this end for a long time. When I first started there, uh, I was the second visiting professor at the seminary. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was in its infancy stages. We had only guest lectures, mostly from America, mm -hmm. some other places. But uh, it was already desire, uh, considered desirable that the Russians uh, be trained and take over the teaching, which has happened little by little. We have... Um, we have four, I believe, four Russians now who ha have received uh, higher theological education or, in one case, philosophical education, and, um, and they do much of the teaching now. Uh, I still carry a, a large part of it. I've built uh, 19, well, I've constructed 19 courses over the years. Wow. Uh, most of which I still teach, but... Um, when I'm not there, they will they will manage. Sure, sure. How important is it for the Russian Church in Siberia to have um, pastors that are that are Russian? Uh, I think extremely important. Imagine yourself as Americans, and some foreigners come and preach some religion to you through translators. Mm -hmm. How would you react? Probably not very well. Mm -hmm. I remember when uh, Koreans came for the this church called the Unification Church, which is really a cult, <laughs> and they were not received well by Americans. Mm -hmm. Who are these foreigners coming? Uh, well, it's the same in Russia. While uh, they're very accepting of foreigners as individuals, they uh, the days are long past when they say, oh, Christians from America, let's go listen to them. They're not so interested in that. So it is crucial that people with their own language and their own culture can preach to them in terms, uh, cultural terms that they understand. That's true. The, it's, it's a very different thing when you're an outsider coming in, learning the language and trying to... Uh, trying to communicate the the things in the Bible and Lutheran theology rather than somebody who who knows the language who's who has grown up in that language it's 
it's a it's a very different cultural thing. Yes, it is indeed. Yes, well, uh, that's it's wonderful work that you're doing there, and and we're we're very happy to have you in the studio. So thank you for taking the time to uh, to to chat with me a little bit today. My pleasure. You've been listening to Faith and Family, and with me in studio is the Reverend Alan Ludwig, who is serving as a missionary in Siberia, Russia. To learn more about his story and his work, you can go to lcms.org slash Ludwig. And to learn about how you can serve, you can go to lcms.org slash service. Listen to Faith and Family Monday through Friday at this time. Faith and Family is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is needed for Faith and Family to continue. Our address is 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can contact us on the web and download Faith and Family at kfuo.org. Worldwide KFUO, on the air, online, and on demand.